Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Wow. Wow. She only left the doll like yesterday morning or the evening before and she's got a baby boy, a bouncing baby boy, all fit and healthy. Uh, congratulations, I guess, to Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee. I've only ever met Helen once. Uh, she came into politics in a very tragic way uh, and people should remember that. Uh, her dad, Shane, who was a lovely guy, he was a junior minister. I met Shane many times when I was up and down to the doll over the years. Nice fella. Died in tragic circumstances and she came into politics uh, taking his seat. And I've only ever met her once and she's a, she's a nice person actually. Very nice, very pleasant individual is Helen McEntee. Congratulations to her and to her partner Paul on the birth of uh, their baby son. That's We weren't expecting that quite so quickly. Where are we? 1850 Good morning, Thursday morning. Now, anything you hear from us in the next 10 15 minutes or so comes with a health warning it comes with a big caveat that it's all still in the melting pot it's all still to be nailed down and finalised but what we're hearing this morning is that as of the 10th of May we'll be able to go back to inter-county travel and the big one that comes with that, and the thing that people will love out of this, I know they will. Imagine if your nana lives in Clare and you've not seen her or been able to see her for months on end. Well, you, not only will you be able to go to Clare to see her, but you'll be able to visit her in her house because nana has been vaccinated and maybe granddad too. The whole house is vaccinated. So that's something else that's coming in. Those of us who are not yet vaccinated will be able to visit one fully vaccinated household from the 10th of May. Three households in the back garden uh, because they figure, right, well, so many people are meeting outside anyway. 
and she might as well let them meet in the back garden. So that's happening from the 10th of May. Barbers and hairdressers and other services will open as well. Mass for 50 people. Funerals and weddings. The mass, 50 people. Only six at the afters of a wedding, though. Click and collect on the 10th. All retail on the 17th. There's a bit more to it. Let's catch up with Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. And Adam, I am saying there in the introduction that all this is subject to confirmation when Michal Martin comes down those steps this evening. Would I be right? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. It would indeed. Um, I'm, I'm on top of that again, then all of these dates that you'll hear later on from the Taoiseach will come with a heavy caveat that as long as the cases stay low and they don't rise too quickly that they'll be able to keep going with this reopening. And that's also caveated with as long as the vaccine campaign stays on track and keeps going the way it has the past couple of weeks. Now, you're writing in a piece you filed late last evening, I think at the end of all these discussions, a couple of things. You mentioned that Dr. Tony Holohan had given advice to government. Now, we know to our cost at the past that in the past that if they ignore Dr. Holohan or Dr. Thin or Neffet, if they ignore it, that can come at a cost. So do we know what he has said? We do. And and what something that uh, I think everybody was surprised that last night was that Neffet's advice, the advice from uh, CMO, was very optimistic around the reopening. There was a uh, the return of visits to, to people's gardens, the inter- they backed the inter-county travel ban being lifted and, and all the measures that had already been flagged by government, they were happy to see reopen in a phased manner over the next month or so. Um, I think that's something that kind of caught ministers off guard because they had been expecting maybe some sort of a, a little bit of a tug of war and maybe they'd have to um, go against some of the advice. But broadly, Neffet more open and positive about reopening this month and, and the situation COVID-wise in Ireland seems to be positive according to the, their, their report. Looking at the numbers from, from last evening and indeed of course the case numbers are still I suppose uncomfortably high but that having been said most of the people yesterday 77% of those new confirmed cases are those under 45. The median is 28. So really, it's young people now are most affected. And we know that young people are the ones most likely to make it, most likely, we say, to make a full recovery from all of this, which means that the vaccinated groups, the vaccines would appear to be working. Maybe that's fueling the CMO's optimism. You're right, yeah. And I think what you're seeing in those numbers now, and you're right to dig down into them with ages and that sort of thing, is that there is a real payoff of the vaccine campaign here. You've seen the the number of cases in nursing homes, in over 70s, in healthcare workers, young healthcare workers as well in hospitals, dropping by more than 90%, 99% in some places, 98% in others. Like, it's having a real impact. And that, I think that's where this optimism is, is kind of coming from. And it's something that I think we're, we're going to see, hopefully, over the next couple of months, when if this vaccine campaign does continue at the pace that it's going. Now, there's obviously been extensive lobbying from every sector. Pubs and restaurants probably at the top of the queue. Hospitality, tentatively, I'm seeing this morning, Adam, tentatively, and again, obviously all open to confirmation. Hotels and guest houses open in time for the June weekend. Pubs and restaurants outdoors only from the 7th and indoors from July and the €9 Euro meal restriction is gone. How much of that can we can we depend on? 
Well, the the dreaded wet pub is finally gone. I think that's something that a lot of people wanted to see gone as well, and especially the, the vintners' associations and the hospitality industry. They didn't want to see this kind of two-tier treatment of uh, pubs that don't serve food, and, and that seems to be gone altogether now uh, as far as some of the soundings that were coming out of the meeting last night. So it looks like that €9 meal is gone. You won't have to buy uh, a bowl of chicken wings to sit alongside your point there if you're going into if you're going to the pub. Now, it will be all outdoors for the summer there was very little talk of indoors I mean that you're looking at maybe July if even for, for that sort of indoor dining and things like that but for outdoor dining and restaurants and pubs serving outdoors so beer gardens that sort of thing you're looking at the 7th of June was the date flagged now earlier yesterday there had been some talk that it could be early or late May that you could be looking at May 24th and then I think Things kind of moved around when Neffet came back and were willing to back this um, early reopening of inter-county inter travel. That kind of changed things, so they had to move things around a little bit. So I'd say it'll probably be that first week in June when you start to, you know, be able to go for a pint and a burger uh, in your in your local pub. Going, going inside is a bit away yet, which is going to bring a pushback from those who just simply can't operate outside. I'm thinking of a few premises that I know facing straight out into a busy street. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think what you'll see today is more confirmation about those supports that have been currently given to uh, places that can't reopen at the moment. They'll be extended for some places. And I think one thing that we're, there's questions about, and we'll have, it's one thing we'll have to ask Tishik today, is the last time they reopened outdoor dining, there was a max of 15 people, which I know a lot of restaurants and publicans were furious about because they said with that 15 people max, there was no point in them, in them opening at all. And so they didn't. And a lot of places stayed closed because they would have lost the support if they had it reopened to only serve 15 people at a time. So will there be a max on that outdoor uh, dining is something that we're going to see hopefully later on. And uh, But again, that will be... June by the time probably we, we see that the first week of June. Now coming back to the vaccines, you were writing last evening Adam that there's been some good news on the deliveries front including a massive delivery of Pfizer jabs. That's right, the biggest delivery we've had today that Taoiseach announced in the Dáil yesterday 191,000 Pfizer doses arrived in the country yesterday morning which was great news, a great boost for the HSC. What you're starting to see there is, you'll remember, I think we may have even spoken about it myself and yourself on this show Pfizer agreed uh, to send an extra 550,000 yeah. doses. That's the first bit of that delivery coming in there now so that's a monster delivery that will really hopefully help the HSC speed things up now in the coming weeks. Now, I was interested as well to look at the vaccine statistics uh, early this morning. 27.5% of the adult population that wants one has now had a forced jab. Now, that's a very, that, that in, it's not quite at Northern Ireland levels, but it's more than I thought. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? And 10.9% then is uh, people who've been fully vaccinated. That's with their two doses. Now, you will see those numbers start to, to climb again uh, over the next few months. The question still remains. The, the government has committed to 82%. Now, the Taoiseach really nailed his colours to the flag on that one uh, this time last month when he said they will hit that target. Things will start to reopen. And I think he was trying to give us a bit of optimism to say, this is what we're going to do. The, the language has changed a bit from the government leaders around that 82% target. You're seeing them saying that, look, that's still our aim. That's still what we're pursuing. But they're not as confident about hitting it. And the thing I think that is about is 
the advice this week, uh, last week, about Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, that it can only be given to over 50s. That will speed up the, the rollout for those groups, over 50s, but when it comes to the 40s, 30s, 20s, There'll be, it, it may slow down things because there won't be as many vaccines available for them. So will they be still able to hit that 82% is the question that met a lot, it's on a lot of people's minds there today. And of course, if you look at it and take the daily case numbers as we got last evening, it now the younger it's the younger sector of society that have the most of the cases. So getting the vaccine around to them is going to become equally crucial. It is, but I think we also have to highlight that when it comes to people in their 20s like yourself or people in their 30s, uh, the, the risk of ending up in hospital or dying from COVID-19 is greatly reduces okay. as the younger you are. And if you look at the numbers we have in hospital at the moment, and particularly the numbers in ICU, they're the lowest they have been in months and months. Yeah. And I don't think the slowing of vaccines to people in their 20s and 30s and 40s will really stop the re- the reopening plan. Yeah. I have them to hand, actually. Uh, last evening's statement from Neffert was 153 people in hospital nationwide and 45 in ICU. Now, when you think where we were this time in January, like, that's really, really good progress. And you'd, you'd hope that that is another demonstration that the vaccines are working in, that people are not getting, even if they get the, the virus, they're not getting as sick. Yes, you're right. And PJ, I have to say, I'm delighted to be on to talk to you about uh, optimistic things that like this reopening is is very positive, very optimistic. The vaccine plan, while it has had its troubles, is still very much working. And we can see that in the numbers you're mentioning there. I mean, we've had a lot of dark months and and tough conversations on this program with yourself Mm. over the past few months. And some of the the press conferences I've I've attended have been very somber events, very dark events, serious warnings. People were afraid. And I think this is really the start of a hopeful and optimistic summer that we're going to see today. Mm. There are two plans dovetailing here, obviously. There's the plan to reopen slowly and surely. I, I liked, and I said this to my listeners, I liked Michal Martin's attitude on the week in politics of Sunday where he said, I want, when we open something, I need them to stay open, which I thought was very positive out of him. And well, it's, it's the right thing to do, but also the vaccine, they have to dovetail. And do you think they get that at the highest level? They do, 100%. That's something that shines true. And it's also something that is taken into account when Neffet does its modelling. So we know that Neffet comes to the table with, look, if worst-case scenario, this is what could happen. And we've seen that worst-case scenario come true and be beaten over the Christmas period. They didn't know and expected those sort of cases to come true. But they do take into account, look, the vaccine rollout is going at this pace. If it continues at this pace cases should dip down to and they, they take those things into account and that's it's that modelling a lot of the time that the government is basing this reopening on. So that's why I think you'll see some of the more riskier or what's perceived as more riskier uh, industry things like hospitality where a lot of people are meeting up together and there's a lot of opportunities for the virus to spread. That's why they're kind of backloaded there to, to the end of May or start of June so that it gives the vaccine campaign a chance to really speed up. Mm. People are asking, um, Adam, and again, everything's got a health warning on it until Michal Martin walks down them steps. Gyms, weddings? Gyms, I, well, from what I heard last night, it, it, it's looking at the first week of June for gyms. So I think, I think the first Monday is in around the 7th. So it's probably that date that you're looking at for gyms to reopen. That won't be May as far as I can, I'm, I, I've heard last night now. 
outdoor sports training for over 18 that will come back uh, very early in May with then competition so the likes of your Sunday league football and, and hurling and that sort of thing coming back in June for competition so that they can play matches and um, weddings the capacity I believe is going to go up to 50 but the there's a caveat on that because it's up to 50 at the church yeah. for the wedding. But for the, the afters of the wedding, I think it's still going to be somewhere between 15 and 6 for, and I don't know how, when that can, will I think if you, if, can, if you can do your afters in the outdoors, you can have 15. I think that's it. That's a, that's a risky bet here in Ireland, I think. I, I, absolutely. <laughs> Caravan parks, a lot of people, I, I, don't, I, mean, I know in, in Dublin people head down to, to Wicklow and places like that, but in Cork we, we like to head to places like Onahinsha and Yall and Gary Vaux and Garrettstown for our, to our mobile homes and our caravans. When are they happening? That is a good question, and it's something that was raised this week, actually, and I believe that uh, ministers were asking this question, look, caravan parks, when can they get open? And the idea being that the first week of June, uh, June 2nd, will be kind of the start of the domestic tourist industry. So you're looking at hotels, B&Bs, that sort of thing. And I would imagine that uh, caravan parks will tie in with that date there, June 2nd. OK, but again, it's it's all subject to confirmation by the Taoiseach later. Adam, thank you very much. We'll catch up again. Adam Higgins, political correspondent with the Irish Sun. And what we're going through in the last 10 minutes or so, thank you, Adam, is all subject to the stamp today and Michal's speech this evening and we'll cover that in far more detail tomorrow and we'll get far more reaction to it tomorrow but I think the one thing that people are going to like in this they're definitely going to like it is you've not seen a relative a loved one for a long time because they're in another county or because they are vulnerable because you've not been allowed to visit them anyway. So if that relative is vaccinated, and even if they're in the next county or the second next county, then after the 10th of May, you'll be able to go and see them. So there's a question. Is there anybody that you've not seen since, what, November? Since this time last year? For six months? Is anybody that you've not seen that you know that they're now vaccinated and safe, that you're heading to go there the minute you can. Anybody, who, who is the first person you want to see that you've not been able to see for a very, very long time? Where are they? Because I know that's going to mean an awful lot to people. The back garden thing is going to mean an awful lot to people. And as more people get vaccinated, we'll be able to move that indoors because there's a provision there down as well for... As more people get vaccinated, as the two families are vaccinated, they can meet indoors. Our three families, they can meet indoors. But at the moment, from the 10th of May, back garden up to three households. It's hopeful, as Adam says, it's the first morning in a long time that we've had some good news for people. It's the first morning in a long time that we've been and say, well, look, geez, at least we have a plan. Listener is wondering, does a humanist ceremony constitute a religious service? That's above my pay, my pay grade and probably above Adam's too. Does a humanist ceremony constitute a religious service? But then a humanist ceremony is a wedding. So it kind of does come under the, uh, the, the, the weddings category. That's just, there's always one, isn't there? Does a humanist ceremony constitute a religious service? Kate will visit Noni and Doni. 
They're not relations, but the most power, most wonderful people I know, and they're out by McCroom. Weddings, daughters getting married on July 3rd. What we're told there is they can have 50 at the Mass, and between 6 and 15, depending on the reception. Ain't going to work, as Adam said, but that's what's on the table. Councils should now get behind businesses, help them to adapt to the outdoors and not be charging them or imposing rules on them because they need to bounce back and outdoors is the only way to do it. Yeah, let's not have let's not have somebody in a cheap suit and an even cheaper clipboard wandering around town checking every table and every stool and every chair. Let's not have that. Let us not have that at all. And the listener says... Another listener, you'd make a fortune now if you had a horde of outdoor gas heaters. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. In fact, I'm thinking of the fellas in the do stock control now and the likes of Woody's and B&Q and all those places. They're looking to see, can we get patio heaters, lads? Like 40-foot truckloads of patio heaters. 1850 Talking to Adam also about the vaccine rollout. At the moment, you know what we have? We have Pfizer, we have Moderna, we have Johnson & Johnson coming, and we have AstraZeneca out there. They both have limitations on them. There is a major vaccine in 60 countries. It's been offered to us. We haven't taken it yet. Why? No one seems to know. But, believe it or not, we found someone in Cork who's had the Russian vaccine, the Sputnik and walked into a supermarket to a shopping centre and got it. Who is she? We'll talk to her next. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Who could have imagined, despite theatres and cinemas being closed, the Arts House would be as busy as ever? Maybe we can't send you for nights out, but each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, or great ideas for sitting at home and exploring galleries in the virtual world, Join Elmery Maw and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Griffin's new chipping potatoes are specially grown to make the perfect homemade chip. Fluffy inside and crunchy outside. Now in store. Cork's 96 FM. So, how does someone living in Cork happen to get the Russian vaccine? Well, her name is Anastasia Derbeneva, and she went home to Moscow to get it. We've been catching up. Anastasia, you've had the Sputnik vaccine on a trip back to, to Moscow. I'll get to that in a minute, but how long have you been in Cork? Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I've been living in Cork for two years. Uh, my husband was uh, approached by one of the big uh, IT companies and offered a job. We never intended to move countries, but we decided to give it a try. And we've been living here since April 2019. Uh, and we found uh, that Cork is a lovely and fantastic place. You, you like it here? A lot, yeah. 
Now, Russia was one of the first countries in the world to announce that it had a vaccine and to start using it. Yeah, well, uh, I actually don't actually agree with them uh, registering it in August uh, because they didn't start mass uh, vaccinations until December anyway, but it created quite uh, a controversy in the world, maybe led to a little bit lack of trust for the vaccine. Because they registered it and they continued uh, the trials uh, until winter and i but i got a text inviting me to get my dose uh, in december last year and so yeah that was exciting president putin he released it without completely finishing the trials didn't he i think that's just bureaucracy they uh, registered it and they completed the trials afterwards maybe just to be able to say that uh, they were like the first in the world, uh, maybe not the best decision, but they did follow the procedure afterwards. You said you got invited while you were living here in Cork. You obviously had to travel to Moscow to get it. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I got a text to my Russian number that uh, you are welcome to get uh, your vaccine. But of course, I didn't go anywhere. I couldn't leave the country until there was like an essential reason to travel. But in March, um, my mom needed her surgery and uh, I went home to care for her because I'm the only child. And uh, I had to spend a month uh, in Russia and of course I did my vaccine straight away. Yeah, is there a waiting list? No, not at all. I got my first dose the same day my plane landed. So actually in the morning I uh, had my COVID test uh, in the airport when I arrived. Uh, The results came back negative like three hours later and I was free to go. And I went to straight to the nearest shopping center with a vaccination clinic in it and got it like one hour later. A shopping center? And did you have to make an appointment? No. I just turned off. That's brilliant. And what's the procedure like? It's it's quick and easy, is it? Yeah, there is a short questionnaire, and uh, I had a talk with a GP. Uh, they asked me about some about if I have any conditions which would prevent me from vaccinating and everything like that. And then I got uh, a, sh- a shot, and uh, they asked me to wait for half an hour in the clinic to check if I if I will get any allergic reactions, and after that I was free to go. And there's a second dose, isn't there? Have you had both? Yeah, in three we- in three weeks. Yeah, I had both. And it's two different doses, isn't it? It's 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 not the same one twice. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but they do use uh, two different adenoviruses to deliver the message to the immune system. Yeah. Okay, so it's slightly different science to the other ones. Any side effects at all? Yeah. I had uh, in approximately 12 hours, uh, there was fever, uh, I, I was very sleepy, and I uh, kind of spent the next day in just in, in, in bed. But nothing, had a little bit of muscle pain, you know, like fever-like symptoms, but quite, quite mild uh, ones. Mm. Everything was gone in like another in 24 hours and and did they tell you at the clinic that that might happen 
Of course, uh, they do. They do tell you, and uh, uh, my friends also told me. It kind of it's really age dependent. Young people get uh, more fever and more side effects. So, for example, my mom didn't have any anything at all, and not, not, no side effects for her. Uh, I heard that only five percent of over sixties get any side effects, and uh, it's for young people it's uh, close to ninety percent because our immune system is more aggressive to the adenovirus. And we know, don't we, that 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 sort of feeling a bit off as it was that is your immune system reacting to something strange yeah yeah and even they they, they say that the more side effect the more reaction you get the stronger your immu- immunity will be now do you know of many of your russian friends here in ireland that that have been to get it well people of course don't travel just to get the vaccine yeah. uh, but uh, any Everyone who traveled for essential reasons, uh, they everyone got it. Yeah. Yeah. My friends in Russia, they even more like skeptical, maybe more reluctant to get it because everything they don't feel the pressure. The country is widely open. You can go to a pub, a shopping center. You can fly to like a sunny beach. There is no lockdown there, and uh, people maybe they just don't have. Don't feel this pressure to get it. And also quite a lot of people had the virus and they think that they, their immunity will last for a while and they'll get it later. And there is vaccine always available for them at a short notice. So, yeah, not... Uh, well, a lot of a lot of my a lot of my friends did get the vaccine, but not uh, generally, not every single person. Yeah, the Russian embassy here in Ireland has, we understand, offered our government to get some supply of Sputnik V uh, to Ireland. Do you think the government should get it? Of course, I think the government should get any vaccine uh, which is offered and uh, made available. People here are so um, sick of the lockdown. There is so much pressure on mental health of everyone, and including myself, my family. And uh, I don't know a single person who hasn't complained about like, mental issues. Uh, and I think the sooner we are out of it, the better. And there shouldn't be any politics around vaccines. They should be politics-free because it's for everybody's benefit. And by the way, every foreigner who works in embassies in Moscow, for example, was offered the vaccine and many people accepted the offer. So in Russia, they also approached all the embassies, uh, people who work in Moscow, and they offered them a shot as well. Yeah, Sputnik is in 60 countries around the world now. I know that they went fairly quickly into it and people were suspicious about that but you must be very proud now of your home country to be to be leading the vaccine race in a way uh, yeah of course um, Russia has great scientists and uh, I would uh, uh, really appreciate it if uh, my country was remembered for uh, its science not for its like whenever you get in the news yeah this seems to be a very strong and very powerful vaccine you, what age did you say you were in session? 25 was. 
I was 25 in December when I got my uh, text. Now I, I turned 26 recently. Well, I think a lot of people who are 25 and 26 would love to be able to get something like Sputnik and get it quickly and get on with their lives. Thank you very much for speaking with me today. No problem at all. I hope I was helpful. Thank you. That's Anastasia Derbeneva living in Cork the last couple of years. Essential trip home recently to Moscow. Walked into a shopping centre after she got off the plane and got her vaccine. Now, I think Dmitry Popatov is your name, is that it? Dmitry, you, you've also been back home, I think, to get a, to get a vaccine. Good morning. Uh, uh, good morning, PJ. Good morning to everyone on 96FM. Yeah, I've been to Russia back in January to get uh, uh, to get the vaccine, and uh, there were uh, other reasons for for my travel. It was a side effect. The vaccine was a side effect of that. Yeah. And was it as easy as? And as she just told us, you just walked into a clinic and there presented yourself. Is that it? Uh, I I booked my appointment two weeks in advance uh, to make sure that I actually get it uh, because I had to travel from Ireland, so I had to plan it a bit, but. Uh, my brother got it like four days later and he just walked in. Yeah. And no side effects, I take it? Uh, I've had a bit of fever and uh, muscle pain for, for a day. Uh, so I took it easy, stayed at home. But then the next day I was I felt perfectly. And you've had the second vaccine as well. And have you had any side effects after that? Uh, yeah, it was the same story with the second uh, with the second dose. But it, it varies from person to person. Uh, like my parents had it, they didn't have any of the side effects. My brother had it, he didn't have anything. He felt a bit tired uh, after the second one, but then he said he can't tell if it's because of the vaccine or because he ran like 20 kilometers in, yeah. in the previous day. Good for him. Dimitri, do you think that the government here should take up the very kind offer, offer through the Russian embassy to source Sputnik for us? Uh, I think uh, Sputnik V is a very good vaccine. So certainly if an agreement can be reached that boosts the vaccine supply in Ireland, I think it would be a very good move. The faster we vaccinate, the more lives we save and the quicker we can get back to normal. Yeah, because uh, Anastasia was making the point that there is no lockdown. Life goes on reasonably normally in, in Russia. Uh, yeah, it is. It is currently the case that that it is, there are a lot fewer restrictions back in Russia than than in um, Ireland. Uh, there, there are several reasons for that. So the vaccine is not the only one, but um, yeah, currently is uh, the, the, compared to Ireland, there is no lockdown in Russia. Okay. All right, Dimitri. Thank you very much for being with us this morning on the opinion line on Cork's ninety six. There's Dimitri. There's Anastasia. Both had essential reasons to travel back to Russia. Um, got their vaccine and they're grinned. They're feeling fine. Would you take if you thought in the morning that we were adding Sputnik to the vaccine list here? And bear in mind that there is an offer on the table via the Russian embassy to get us some. Would you take it? I would. Uh, but then again, I've said it before, I'd take anything. I just need to get me jab, myself jabbed uh, as soon as, as it were. But yeah, uh, would you take the Sputnik if they made it available? Do you think they will make it available? Do you think they should make it available? And if they're not making it available, why do you think they're not making it available when there is an offer on the table?
from the Russian embassy, which we understand. I think it was in the Sunday papers. I think I read it in the Business Post about two Sundays ago that there definitely was an offer on the table. 1850-715-996 on reopening. My son, says Antoinette, is doing a happy dance around the kitchen. His 19th birthday is May 25th. So he'll actually get out to celebrate his birthday this year, albeit a little bit too late. And I know a lot of people who are doing exams at the moment, a lot of people doing exams will be delighted that they can meet a few mates in a garden. By the way, something we missed in the rundown with Adam, pennies, lads. Pennies, girl, around the 17th of May. Pennies. And by the way, the one group that's going to have a big problem with booking appointments for the barber, like, maybe I'm wrong here, but women in general, I use that term, in general, book an appointment for the hairdresser anyway. So that's going to be nothing new for them. My missus was texting furiously last night. The Queen Bee was texting her hairdresser furiously to try to get in the first available opportunity. But for us fellas, how are you? Have you? Grand. That's what we're used to. It's going to be much harder for the lads. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. <laughs> All the stars on one show. This is Dear Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Hi, this is Shane Khan. Hey, this is Anne-Marie. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of The Weeknd. Get your new music fix on Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix. Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix. Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy. Yo, what's up, it's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're Picture This. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. Don't, don't stop, stop, and streaming online all the time on your phone, smart speaker, or at 96fm.ie. Courts 96fm. So imagine a job advertisement that reads as follows What we do not want are daddies asking for a job for their son because he's a big strapping lad, a good footballer, feeds the neighbors goldfish when they're on holidays, and cuts the lawn on Saturday. Mammy's asking a job for their daughter and telling us she's great around the house, empties the dishwasher at Christmas, cleans her bedroom every Saturday and loves meeting new people. Yet she's sitting in the car outside our door. We don't want people coming in, handing in their CV over the counter and running out the door. Like Paddy Cullen in 1978. <laughs> people who can't work on Sunday because it's their next door neighbor's third cousin's first communion. People asking for a job instead of asking for work, as the country is full of people with jobs who don't do a tap. Teenagers who want to make the transition from pocket money to earning their own, and then they want to come into the shop unaccompanied by their parents. They ask to speak with Noreen or Cullum and simply tell us why they want to work. That's what we do want. What we don't want, and oh, my mother doesn't want me hanging around the house for the summer, are not the correct answers to our questions. Colm O'Sullivan from Sam's Gala in Dunmanway. Good morning. Peter, good morning. How are you? Good. I was looking at the response to it on Facebook. Uh, some people are a bit annoyed, but most people are saying, yeah, 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 yeah. You have work there for the summer. We do, yes. Yeah, no, we, we do, absolutely. And what we would like are people that actually want to work for themselves, to get their own money, for whatever they're saving for. That's what we want. People that have the initiative and actually have the wherewithal to say, you know what, 
I want to work because I'm sick of taking money off my parents. I actually don't want to hang around the house myself. I'm saving for a new bicycle. I'm saving for insurance for a car. That's what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. The difference between asking for a job and asking <clears throat> for work. That's a thing that your dad used to say, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, he did. A long time ago, I think, when I was about 14 or 15, and one of the things he told me, he said, don't wait until you're coming home from school, he said, on the last day of May, with all your woodwork projects and your art paintings that you did throughout the year, and then think to go look for a job. He said, be proactive, go out now in May, go early. He said, do not, under any circumstances, go looking for a job. He said, it's work you're looking for. He said, the country's full. And he actually said that to me, 35 years ago, I said, God, these full of guys, he said, with jobs and they don't do a tap of work. And that's, that's stuck with me ever since. And it's actually very, very true. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit tongue-in-cheek, I guess. There's, there's an element of tongue-in-cheek. Absolutely, there is. I tell you, to be fair, BJ, that, that post was born out of, out of frustration. And to be fair, I think the only part I exaggerated on was the guy feeding his neighbour's goldfish. I've experienced everything else. Mm. Right, like parents do. It's it's as old as time that dad goes down to the local supermarket where he's known and says to the manager, "Look, I've a grand jump for at home. He's looking for a bit of work over the summer. Would you would you, would you sort him out?" That's yeah. the oldest conversation in Ireland. It is to be fair, PJ, yeah, and I don't want to dismiss that. <clears throat> but my parents thought I was angelic and I was brilliant as well. You know. Um, and I, I actually, I feel that if somebody wants to work themselves and for themselves, where possible, I will always facilitate people like that, where they actually want it themselves. And, and I have the height of admiration for anybody that comes in at 15, 16, 17 years of age and said, look, is there any work here? I need a job and I want to get my own money and I'm sick of taking pocket money off my parents and I'm saving to buy bicycle and saving for insurance or whatever. I appreciate that. And I know that's very difficult for any young person to do. I remember doing it myself. I hated it. Yeah. But it has to be done. I mean, my personal memory, Colm, is one of my first jobs, I think it actually was my first job, was in Rocha stores. And my dad knew someone and had a quiet word. And all I was told was go in and talk to Eddie and Eddie will know you're coming. Like, is there something wrong with that in these days, Colin? No, there's not. Inherently, there's not, to be fair, right? <clears throat> there's not. And, okay, I haven't done it for my own kids. And Why don't own, you do it for your own kids? Why don't... I, I tell you where I'm coming from. I just feel that... I, I notice my, my, own, my own children are teenagers, right? And all of a sudden, I realise that around 14 years of age, they start distancing themselves from, the, from me. Maybe it's something personal, right? But they're going off to make their own way and it's not cool to be seen hanging around with your dad anymore, right? And they want to be adults. And my point is, actually, here, well, go out then and fend for yourself. And I feel that it it grounds them greatly and they have a great appreciation of them. And if they get a job, all of a sudden, at 16 years of age, they understand what the USC is now. They understand what taxes are. They understand what PRSI contributions are. Mm. You know, and all of a sudden they're making this transition to adulthood where, yes, they'd like to do a lot of it on their own. And, <clears throat> yes, you would help me, but I would, I would advocate to go and 
do the best you can. It goes back to giving the man a fish and teaching the man how to fish, mm. you know. There, there is a thing as well, and you know you've teenage kids yourself, and I had them not so long ago. There's a shyness there. There's a reticence to... There is. And it's yes. and, and I guess I guess when you and I were teenagers, there wasn't so much of it. I don't know why there's more of it now, but there's a reticence to have that conversation. I I think I think myself that, that social media has actually deprived them of that and the experience of it. Right? I noticed with my own children they maintain perfect relationships with their friends throughout lockdown over a period of two, three, and four months. And when they meet them, they meet them like they've only parted from them an hour ago. Right? because of the way social media is and Snapchat and all this carry on that I don't understand, they have, they're lucky enough, they can maintain relationships with their friends without the actual physical and personal interaction. And I think they've, they've probably lost that experience of standing there and looking you in the eye. Well, there's no arm to get that back again. Mm. So someone who wants to come down and t- look for work in Sam's Gala in Dunmanway, Come up to the counter, present yourself. Is that it? That's that's really it. Absolutely it. Now, to be to be fair, if a parent came and said, "Listen, Michael or Shames, he's a bit shy. Would you mind talking to him later on?" And then I'd understand that he's there's an element of shyness there, or is, <clears throat> and they come out of themselves after a while anyway. Yeah, do you know. I know I do understand that. But like one place that comes from PJ is when my kids were younger. They were young in the Celtic Tiger times, and I remember googling to see how much pocket money you should give your kids. Right, and there was a rule of thumb given stupidly at the time that you give me a euro for every year that they are. Right, that was great, PJ, when they were all five and six and seven years of age. <laughs> when you end up with three of them as teenagers and you realize you're dropping 50 quid a week, right, that's a little over two and a half thousand a year, which is about four grand of my gross salary. Myself and the opposition leader could go away for a phenomenal holiday for two weeks with that money. <laughs> the opposition <laughs> leader. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that a Wait, new sorry, name for the Queen Bee? <laughs> oh, listen to me, Colm. You've given me the you've given me the the laugh of the day. I've heard. I refer to my wife as the Queen Bee. My my friend refers to his wife as the chief executive. Yeah. Uh, the leader of the opposition. I love it. Colm, listen, good luck with finding some staff. And you know what? I think if they have you to mentor them, they'll turn out as grand workers. Hopefully. PJ, thank you very much indeed for your time. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Bundles of stuff coming in to do with vaccines. An incredible number of people would love for us to be able to get our hands on Sputnik and would like the government to take up the offer from the Russians via their embassy uh, to take up some Sputnik. They'll get it for us and deliver it to us and all that if we want it. Now, Donal makes the point that if the government wants to go for the Sputnik, they have to ring von der Leyen and pass it by her, because it's quite obvious if you go for it unilaterally, Europe will tell you get stuffed. Well, Donal, we've looked into this, and, and Fergal Barry, he on the executive research desk, is very hot about these things. If we wanted to take Sputnik directly from the Russians, there is nothing to stop us doing it. We can license it for the country unilaterally and just take it if we want it. There's nothing to stop us taking it at all. 
That's just a fact. I'll come back to that though in, in a wee while. 1850 715996. Thinking this morning of a man who passed away at the age of 90, and many of my friends who are into space exploration in a big way, uh, thinking today about Michael Collins. He was the guy, he was the pilot of the command module. He stayed up in space when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin took those one small step or took that one small step back in 1969. And Michael Collins uh, died yesterday, aged 90, after a battle with cancer. Now, Michael Collins is a very Irish name and, in fact, a very Cork name, of course. His grandfather was from Cork. Uh, now, Michael Collins, the astronaut, would have been born in 1931. So his granddad at that stage would probably have been what? Would have been 50, maybe 60, and would have emigrated in the late 1800s, perhaps we'll say, to, to the... I'm, no, I'm thinking here out loud. There's a TD called Michael Collins, of course, in Cork Southwest. Then we had a, a, a more famous, shall we say, Michael Collins in the Southwest. Is there any way at all that this fella Collins, this astronaut Michael Collins, is in any way related to the present independent TD or to the big fella, the original Michael Collins? Any relation? Wouldn't that be an interesting one to find out now? 1850-715-996. They're going to need one of those baby name books in East Cork. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for a more variety of names, you're right. Eugene tells us his grandfather was from Dunmanwe, left in 1860 for the US, and was a drummer boy in the American Civil War. Thanks, Eugene. 1850 Story there in the news at 10 o'clock about first-time buyers. House sales to first-time buyers at the highest level since the days of the Celtic Tiger, despite pandemic pressures. That's the first line uh, on a new story in the independent.ie and Charlie Weston is their personal finance man. Charlie, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Huge rush to buy. Yeah, this is unusual because we were told this time last year that the housing market would collapse. Uh, we have a lot of pe- an awful lot of people on uh, the book payment or else they're, on, they're being subsidised in their workplace and they struggle to get mortgages. You can't get a mortgage if you're on the pub. And if your company is getting the wage subsidy, that that's a real stumbling block. Um, and then we have um, construction has been largely shut down for um, for a long period during the, the lockdowns. So there's a shortage of new homes. Despite all that, as you say, we're back to the numbers of people buying homes back up, up to Celtic Tiger levels. In the first three months of this year, the highest number of drawdowns, of mortgage drawdowns by first-time buyers, it was the highest in, the, in those three months since 2007, and that is just extraordinary. And if you add in the second-hand buyers as well, we're back to the volumes of mortgages that's been issued uh, that we had in 2009. Mm. You know, around then, property market was you know was just topping off and uh, starting to fall. But so we're back to that awful period, the boom period. Um, and you know, people extraordinarily, there are plenty of people out there bidding each other for houses. The other thing that's extraordinary, PJ, is you can't go and view a house at the moment. You know, there's restrictions on them. You have to... Um, do it online. Do it online, a virtual viewing, exactly. And it's very difficult to buy a house if you're 
looking at it on a computer or a mobile phone or whatever. Um, and, you know, only when a, a sale is agreed can you go in and, and check out and go in with a measuring tape and have a, a proper look at it because the photographs are never never going to give you the true, true um, uh, state the house yeah. is in. And most people are buying second-hand houses, so this is, it's very important that you know exactly mm. what's, what's what with the house, I suppose, PJ. Charlie, if a man of your experience is surprised by these figures, what hope for the rest of us? Where are people getting the money? You would wonder, wouldn't you? You know, we have very much you know two-speed economy here. We have thousands of particularly young people, the people in hospitality, in retail, in some parts of retail, people in hairdressers, people in... In, um, in, in, in in pubs and restaurants, those people are all out of work. On the other hand, the lucky ones, the educated ones, the ones who can work from home, who are lucky enough to have that type of job, who can work from home, are managing to save money. It's the pandemic savings, they're calling it. They're not going out to the pub, they're not having parties, they're not going away on weekends, they're not uh, going to big weddings. That tends to be a huge expense for young people, you know, when mm. each other gets married, they have to spend a fortune on that one. Um, you know, and, and they're managing to save money. They're accelerating this, the, the, the putting together of a deposit. It's just, they're able to put a deposit together much faster. They might have been planning, you know, they've been saving for a while and the, the target was to have that deposit together by next year, but they've made it this year because they've saved so much money. Mum and Dad with these people as well tend to be helping out. The Bank of Mum and Dad is probably ponying up a few bob. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's a big factor. And, and they're mainly buying second-hand houses. And the other factor, I suppose, PJ, is the the work from home has meant that people now are saying to themselves, well, actually, do you know what? I don't have to be in Dublin to do this. I don't have to commute every day. I could actually move to somewhere, you know, where I'm near from where I'm from, outside of the big conurbations like Cork or Galway or, or uh, Dublin, and, and, and live in a more rural place, get a bigger house, maybe have a half acre, and, um, you know, more affordable as well than trying to buy in... in, in, in Cork City or, or, or yeah. Dublin suburbs or somewhere like that. And buy something a bit bigger and have a dedicated office room. Exactly. Just have a whole room, have a proper desk, have a proper chair, get good broadband. You know, broadband now is, you know, it's still an issue, obviously, but I mean, you know, that's obviously a key factor, it's decent broadband. And, um, you can do your job then from home and you know, these people might decide I'm going to work largely from home um, you know or, or, or you know, I'll have to go into the office the odd time but a lot of it can be done on, online so that's a huge factor as well driving this surge in, in, in buying you know 9,000 mortgages were were taken out in the first three months of this year uh, you know which is um, it, for a small market like ours that's big you know so yeah. uh, it, it, it really is uh, it's it, it, it is extraordinary, and it'll be next month before the state agents will be allowed to, to hold in-person viewings. That's you know? right. So, date, I think, around the, around the 17th of May, I think, is the date being given. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, despite the, the restrictions, the, 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 the COVID-19, the, everything would seemingly, you know, if you were to look at it uh, in a kind of dispassionate way from a distance, you'd say, well, you know, all the conditions are there for the market not to do well. But the opposite is happening. You know, we're just people have extra money. They're, they're rushing to buy as well. They're probably fed up paying, you know, eye-watering rents to, to some big institution now who's charging a fortune for a tiny space in a city. So, that, you know, they're, they're saying, Look, okay, let's just get it together and buy a house and we buy one in a rural area where we're from and, and we can work from home. So the, so this, this is what we're seeing. We're back to house buying at levels not seen for, for you know, 
12, yeah. 12 years in the case of first-time buyers, 14 years, or sorry, 14 years in the case of first-time buyers, 12 years in the case of um, uh, of the overall market. I will, I will stop you there straight away because you're saying we're back to the levels of 2007, 2008. And Charlie, we all know what happened then. Are we headed for another boom and burst? Well, I think the difference this time, PJ, is the lending is much more sensible. There's strict rules in place now determining how much you can borrow. Unless you get one of these coveted exemptions and they're hard enough to get, you can only borrow three and a half times your income uh, and you have to have a deposit of at least 10%. Now, you know, obviously you get help on that one with the help to buy the government scheme, but that means that lending is much more sensible. The central bank has come down heavily on lenders and they're complaining about all of this, you know, uh, that they've made it quite difficult to get a mortgage and it is a problem. So, I don't think we're back to the loose overlending nonsense that went on where people were getting calls from the bank saying, ah, sure, you know, we, 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 are you sure you don't want to remortgage or take out, a, you know, uh, take out an extra few bob? And when people went looking for a mortgage, they were given more than they wanted. That's kind of nonsense. They were given 100% mortgages, but there's none of that anymore. So, you know, I, I think it's much more sustainable. And we've seen that because, the, you know, there was a lot of payment breaks issued in, in last year for people um, impacted by the pandemic. And most of those people, most of those people got back onto paying again. So, you know, the, the, the outlandish nonsense lending we had in the Celtic Tiger hopefully is a thing of the past. What does this say to you in terms of a, the broader economy, which we're, we're hearing, hopefully, once we can put this pandemic behind us and get people vaccinated and get business going again? What does it say to you with regard to the broader economy recovering? I think it's a good sign in some ways, you know, that... Um, uh, the, 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 that market, anyway, the mortgage and the housing market is still, I suppose, still functioning. That's that's positive, definitely. On the other hand, are we going to be left with a two-speed situation here, an intergenerational issue where you have people who are, are just struggling to get on the housing yeah. ladder? Maybe their businesses have been badly impacted by the pandemic uh, or else they're on pub payments or whatever, and they are, they are, they are desperately in need of affordable and... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, social housing and that's been very slow to be delivered so you're getting a lot of people left behind others are saying you know I have the money now I'm going to buy so yeah. that is a problem I think and that's a social issue as, as well as an economic issue that you're going to have haves and haves and nots you know the, the, the impact of, this, of COVID will take us a while to work it out but it, it, for some people it's very very negative obviously yeah, and that, that is a bit of a red flag isn't it that like the economy itself will recover for some but, but for others it's already past the point of rescue yeah, and you know, exactly, and are they just going to be left behind? The economists call this a scarring effect, and it's a good phrase because it captures the damage being done to these people economically and socially and mentally as well. I mean, they're being left behind now, and their, you know, their chances of, of doing things are, are, are being in, impacted by the pandemic, and, and that's, that's very unfortunate. So I think that's not something we need to start thinking about. You know, the people who are losing out here, are they going to be scarred mentally and, 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 and economically as well uh, by this whole situation and where others just zoom ahead and snap mm. up the housing that's available? You know, so. And that's a job for government to ensure that it doesn't happen. I think we need to consider, yeah, and I'm not sure there's enough appreciation of it as well. We're busy talking all the time about when this, that and the other is reopening, when we'll get vaccines. But, you know, I, I think there's an issue here around young people and the impact that this, all, this whole situation is having on them and, and, and how, how will they be left at the end of all of this. We need to start considering that. It's a big, it's a big issue, obviously, but it needs to be thought about. Okay. All right, Charlie. Good speaking with you as always. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor with Independent Newspapers. They've, 
number of houses being bought, the number of mortgages getting give out this year is up to levels not seen since 2007. But as Charlie says, there's a whole other side that you're going to have now like two cars going up the motorway. One of them is a 2.1 litre injection turbo. The other is a 24-year-old Ford Fiesta with a dodgy cylinder. And that's going to be the problem. And the government needs to step in and service the Fiesta quickly. 1850-715-996. Where are you going to go and who are you going to see? After the 10th of May, you can go inter-county, plus you can also go to visit someone in their home who has been fully vaccinated. And I was asking, you know, who would you like to go to see and where are they? We haven't seen our parents since August of last year. They're in Wexford. I'll be on the Cork border to cross it at midnight once the restrictions are lifted to go to see them. They're both fully vaccinated and I can't wait, says Catherine. 1850-7159-96. Johnny O'Connell is the teacher, uh, the class teacher at Cushley, Blarney Street, CBS. Johnny, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for the call. Thank you for coming on air with us because this is a beautiful little video and the little message in it is just wonderful. And as someone who is a parent of a lad on the spectrum, I, th- I, I was moved by it. It's such a perfect way to teach kids. Well, I think the response has been so heartwarming and everybody is really kind of getting on board with the message. And it's all really about the awareness and acceptance. And that's the the best feedback I've had is where people have told me, do you know what, Gronia, I actually learned something from that. And to me, that's so... And of course, they get to see my most amazing boys, which is because they're... All they do is they hear me talking about them. So it was wonderful you know, for people to actually see them as well in person. um, April, of course, the month of autumn awareness and acceptance. Who put the video together? So I put it together. um, But, like, obviously I would have drawn from, you know, sites like As I Am, that little amazing things happen video. Um, But then I think the most impressive thing is that it's the third class and sixth class boys are actually delivering the message about autism awareness. And like since that, even their level of awareness, they're like, oh, miss, look at, look at this on YouTube. This person has autism and they can, you know, add better than a calculator. And they're coming up to me and, you know, really kind of celebrating and getting on board with um, the whole idea, which is, I think, so important. And yeah. their delivery was outstanding. They took it very seriously. So I was extremely proud of, of all those boys as well. Did, did, did you help them to script it? Did they script it themselves? Well, I would have scripted, but obviously they they 
they were entirely responsible for the delivery. Fantastic. So, yeah. And, 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 and I think it, it came across, you know, that they were very sincere in their delivery, which is amazing. And that was very important for the parents of all my children as well. I mean, it's grand for the teachers to promote it, but the fact that it was the boys delivering the messages, yes. I think that was important as a parent because, you know, that, that just signals a brighter future, really, if I suppose the children in the school have that level of acceptance and joy around autism. Mm. Um, it, it just heralds a better life and a better future for their boys. There's a great uh, understanding I coming across from it too, like that everybody with autism is different. Oh, the spectrum is absolutely. Um, I mean, you say if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism. Yeah. All my boys, all their personalities, they're all completely different and they all have so much uh, to offer, but in different ways. You know, they're incredible, just like everybody else. You know, yeah. everybody has different personalities and different strengths, um, exactly the same as my yeah. boys. Do you find yourself learning from them as well, which oh, is a remarkable thing? I do. Thing. Yeah. As yeah. Mr. Lynch said in the video, I don't know if that part was caught, I think part of the piece was caught, but as Mr. Lynch said, I think the boys have enriched the school community and everybody in it. Like, they, I think they're oblivious. They walk around the place and they're just so happy and they're oblivious to spreading all this joy and they do it on a daily basis. They're just the happiest boys um, you can imagine, yeah. They're great, they're great. Now, I think you've got something for me before I let you go. (laughs) Well, I just have to go back to Koshli, so bear with me a moment and we'll see how this goes. One minute. I'm guessing this on my screen now that you're something you have (laughs) for me before you go. Thank you. you. Okay, boys, (gasps) the man is on the radio and he, yeah, he wants me, he wants me. Good boy, thank you. He's going to, will you sing You Are My Sunshine for him? One, two, three. Listen to me. That's that, that's something. There's something in me. I. Oh, I'm delighted. <laughs> they're they're just wonderful boys. <laughs> Ronya, thank you very much. We're very proud. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And thank you for your call. I really appreciate it. No, no, delighted to, to talk to you. That's that's the lads at Blarney Street CBS Autism Awareness Month. Cush Lee is their class. They did that little video, and that's just ah. Listen, I'm sorry. I'm not worked. I'm not worked up after that. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Villagers' new album, Fever Dreams, is set for release in August and Conor O'Brien's band have announced a Cork show set to take place at the Opera House on Tuesday, November 2nd. Special guest is Concours White and tickets are on sale now. All areas. There's three more concerts coming up as part of Cork Orchestral Society's online programme for 2021. There's one a month taking place in May, June, July, and they feature Winds of Change, Change of Plan, and Diva featuring three sopranos. More information can be found at CorkOrchestralSociety.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streamed events by emailing us here at AAA at 96FM.ie. Access All areas. That absolutely has me day made. And you know what? When you worry about lockdowns and you worry about restrictions and when we'll get here and when we can go there and whatever, doesn't it bring everything back to earth? Those gorgeous little kids and their little song. That's brilliant. Thank you so much to Grania and everybody at the school. 1850-715-996, but back to the story of the day. And everything we're talking about, subject, as Adam Higgins told us and stressed this morning, starting off the programme, Adam from the Irish Sun, stressed that everything we're talking about is subject to a rubber stamp from full cabinet and also to the Taoiseach announcing it formally. We think he'll be on his feet at around 6 o'clock this evening with another one of his sermons from the Mount, as it were. But one of the things included is weddings. And from next month, from the 10th of May, the wedding mass can have up to 50 people at it. But only 6 or possibly 15, if it's outdoor, can attend the reception. Uh, we had one very upset caller on the phone uh, can't understand, for example, why 50 people can go to the church for the wedding but can only have six then at the reception. Pleading with the politicians to see sense and to change this, even make it 15 to 20 for the indoor, it would make a huge difference for the families. I guess the focus on the indoors and churches, churches are usually big places with very high ceilings, and decent ventilation. You can open doors and open windows. We know the importance of ventilation. Indoor function rooms, not so much. And they're afraid of that, at the moment anyway. It's not necessarily the ideal situation. Sandra Looney from To Have and To Hold, Bridal Planners. Sandra, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Will it come as any consolation to people or any relief to people? Not really. Um... I think what we're hearing is that the couples who were planning to go ahead in May were, uh, I suppose, on the back of their head, they had, uh, I suppose, resigned to the fact that they're just going to have six people anyway. Um, I think they were hoping maybe for 25. um, But there is a level of disappointment um, because they've waited so long. um, And many of them have actually postponed so many times uh, hoping that this time they'd get the go-ahead for an increased number. Mm. So I, I guess still the, the, a level the, of disappointment there. We, we have to revert to the science and the science is just telling us that at this stage with things the way they are indoors are just too risky 
I agree. And I think, you know, nobody wants to do anything that's risky at this stage. And to be fair, many of the couples understand the rationale behind some of the decisions. But I think what doesn't make sense is 50 in the church and then not being able to invite those people back to some kind of a celebration, however small it is, even if it was outdoors. So, you know, as one girl said to me this morning when she was, um, when she called, you know, if I invite 50 people to the church and then I say, okay, now you 44, we're going off to, you know, a hotel to celebrate. So, you know, it's it's not practical. Yeah. Um, now, on the flip side of that, we've seen a real decrease, unfortunately, for some in the level of couples who get married in the church anyway. Yeah. So most couples are getting married in the one location and the one venue. So they're choosing a venue where they can have their ceremony, have their drinks reception, do the photographs and then have the celebration afterwards. So it's really not going to affect uh, the couples who had planned to go ahead with six anyway. Um, but they're few and far between. Uh, the majority of our clients are waiting until at least uh, 50 before they're going to um, they're going to splurge. Yeah, because it's going to be a while yet. And so will there, do you expect more cancellations, postponements to come through now? Yeah, absolutely. We had two this morning already for a couple uh, at the end of May. They were hoping to have 25. Um, they're just not willing to go ahead with just six guests. Um, and we have a few others who are just waiting for the final confirmation this evening. But um, I think if it went to 25, there would be a flurry of activity and some mm. couples would go ahead. Because at least then you can have both, you know, kind of both sets of family. Six really isn't everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. Um, and it's a very difficult day when, you know, you're celebrating with six people. So um, 25 would have made all the difference. Um, and I think based on what we're hearing, that's going to come into effect in June. So maybe if that yeah. does happen, then all, all going all going well, June. All going well, June or July. Yeah, June. What is going to happen at the end of all of this, I suppose, Sandra, is that all of the cancellations and postponements, eventually, people will get around to going back to the traditional wedding when we can all do so safely. <laughs> there won't be enough venues or suppliers to cope or dates. That's the big challenge at the minute. Um, yeah, you're 100% right, PJ. And it's, it's, it's somewhat frustrating in a way for us. We've And all of my colleagues in the wedding industry have been amazing with accommodating couples and moving. We've worked with some couples who have moved three or four times, moved their dates. Um, and while it's frustrating for them, it's frustrating for us also because sometimes you can't, you, you don't have a date available. So what we're seeing is just that. Lots of venues for 2022 are already booked up because think about it, the couples from 2020 moved and now the majority of our 2021 couples are moving and so they're all backing into 22 and 23. And there were already Um, bookings Yeah, and there were already bookings in 22 and and what that does for lots of us as well is that it limits our ability to take on new weddings and new business. So what we're dealing with is legacy weddings that we still haven't, you know, we haven't worked with couples, they haven't gone ahead. We're going to do 100% to make sure that they go ahead as planned. Um, But it means that there's no new business really. It's very difficult to find dates, find Mm. venue, find suppliers for new weddings in 22 in particular. Because Um, pubs haven't been open, people have had, and and restaurants and things, and life has been put on hold. A lot of people have also had a chance to save a few quid, which they might want to put towards a bigger wedding. Correct. And what we're even saying is, um, uh, and I I, I think we shouldn't underestimate the fact that the smaller wedding is here to stay as well, PJ. Um, We worked with a few couples and and we do venue styling and decor as well. What we're finding is the smaller weddings are going ahead, but people are putting 
uh, almost the same amount of money into it because they want it to feel special. They don't want it to look like a miserable day. And many of the ones that we've worked with have been absolutely gorgeous, really intimate, really special. But saying that, that's not for everybody either. So the big traditional Irish wedding that, if you if you recall, was spreading into two and three days before all of this madness started, uh, that's still very much uh, front and centre for many couples who've been planning this for a long time. They've had an opportunity to save. They've had an, had an opportunity to maybe think about where they want to upgrade, what they want to do. Um, so I do think when it opens back up, um, we're really grateful that the business will uh, take off because it's been a very, very lean month, uh, I suppose 14, 15 months for all of us in the wedding industry. I'd say, so I'd say it has. I mean, I, I'd know a lot of musicians <laughs> and photographers and, and video people mm. and they've had a very lean year and a bit. Yeah, because our business is totally dependent on people gathering. Um, there's nothing else. You know, virtual events for us don't work. It's not the same. You don't need our services. Um, so we've really been hit so hard. And, and we've fallen between all of the stools because we're not hospitality. We're not in the music and the arts industry. So we've really kind of been left to the side to some degree mm. because we're... we're you come under the event planners... Yeah, but there's Umbrella. nothing like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're almost like the last add-on when people think about... You like, know, have there been supports there for there. your... Yeah, well, I've been very lucky. Um, I had a great team starting and I was able to keep on uh, two of my staff through the wage subsidy scheme. And we've been able to avail of some of the grants, but not everybody has. Um, and, you know, they've 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 helped but certainly it's nothing like um, where we want to be or what we want to be doing. We want to be back at work if we can. We, you know, we have put in place all the protocols ourselves. We know what we need to do to stay safe and keep all the people around us safe. But I suppose we're just waiting for the right time so that we mm. can come back bigger and better. Okay. Listen, Sandra, here's, here's hoping that someday that good old-fashioned traditional Irish wedding will be back with us uh, as soon as possible. But for now, I guess everyone will err on the side of safety. Uh, thank you very much, Sandra Looney, from To Have and To Hold. More cancellations coming in this morning. Again, all subject confirmation, and there will be a document, I suppose, to follow the speech this evening. But presently, anyway, as we read it, from the 10th of May, you can have 50 at your wedding mass but only six people at your reception. That may well increase to 15 if your reception is outdoors. But, like, since when do we have a climate in Ireland that you can do an outdoor wedding with 15 people? And since when have we even had weddings with 15 people? And the idea that you'd have 50 people in the church and the other way you'd hire the bus to take people then onto the hotel... Now you'd be hiring the bus to take people home and the select half dozen would be going on to the function. And a lot of people are going to say, you know, they're going, ah, right, Yara, we'll wait. Ah, they will flip and wait. But then you will be, won't be able to get a date or a venue or a DJ or a band for love no money in 2022. I know there are bigger things in the world, but when you're planning your wedding, it's the biggest thing in yours. Michelle Hennessy from the journal.ie. She's at the ongoing HSE press conference. Uh, Paul Reed, who's the HSE gaffer, has now said at this press conference this morning that they're working on revising the vaccination plan. <laughs> so pretty much everything we read out yesterday or the day before could be 
gone for a Burton again. But this will be this will be the twenty seventh version of the vaccine plan. We started it. I think the first vaccines Fergal will help me out in my ear on my screen here. I think we gave out the first vaccines on the 29th of December last. In or around there and then. And this is the 29th of April. So four months. 27 different versions of the vaccine plan. Now either they're working very hard and moving to a schedule and trying to do it as best they can or they're guessing. I'd like to think it's the first one. I'd like to think that the 29th of December was the first vaccine given out in Ireland. So this is the 29th of April, four months since. And they're at the 27th version of the vaccine rollout. 1850-715-996. Speaking of vaccines, I promise you I'll come back to what you've been telling us about Sputnik between 11 and 12. Now, have you heard of Twitch... There's Facebook and there's Twitter and there's Instagram and there's um, Snapchat and there's God alone knows what else. But Twitch is another platform which is becoming increasingly popular. And TikTok, of course, being the real big one at the moment. Everyone's TikToking. I watch, I haven't a clue how to use, well, to put up a video I've ever tried, to be honest. But I do watch TikTok and a lot of good fun on TikTok. But Twitch is, I think, about to take over. And it's one where you can go live. Let's talk with Stephen O'Driscoll. Stephen, good morning to you. Good morning. Top of the morning. (laughs) (laughs) What is... Twitch. It's another one to get your head around, but this is very. This is for gamers, I think. Is it? Well, it's not just for gamers. You know, it's it's like a. But um, you know, there's there's gaming, there's chat shows, there's creative content, there's cooking, cooking. I've done that before. Right. So it's kind of like YouTube for the new century. Well, it's like live. I'd, I'd liken it more like to live TV. You know, Twi- YouTube has a live platform as well, but Twitch is about. I think Twitch has what um, is over. Uh, uh, I, I can't. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it's a fairly considerable chunk of the market. Over over sixty percent of it, I think. Right. And how popular is it? Um, it's super popular. Like, um, it's it's uh, so recent numbers stack up at about three million average viewers. I I think. Right. Um, which is which is quite a, a lot of people to be watching something live. Do you know what I mean? Um, and that's what it is. It's uh. It's like it's like live TV, but without the fee. Anyone can get started, and it's a it's like a, it's a the most popular live streaming platform, pretty much. Crikey! So you just literally put your own television program or podcast up on Twitch live for the rest of the world to see, and it's free. Yes, uh, it would be free. Although there is, you know, there's there's a small as with anything in broadcasting, you know, uh, there's there's a slight there's a slight startup fee in terms of like equipment. You have to have a, a mm. PC. But then there are like free platform where there are free this free software to broadcast it and yeah. um, things like that o- OBS and stuff. That's yeah. not a lot of people that. do a very successful TikTok with just a mobile phone or Instagram with just a mobile phone. Would you have to step up a bit for Twitch? Uh, no, you don't have to. I mean, anyone can get started, and that's like the really cool thing. It's not it's not even just for people who want to get like super serious into broadcasting or whatever. You know, like uh, it feels some of part of the feel. I feel like part of the selling point is the is the sort of casual atmosphere about it, you know? Who is using um, it then? Is it teenagers and up? 
Um, so it was like for who's streaming or who's... who's yeah, who is on it? Who is Who would I find if I went exploring? Um, if you went exploring, I suppose you, you can, you know, there's a, there's a pretty nav- easily navigable, um, uh, um, 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 like lots of categories. An interface, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I suppose, I suppose you find people mostly my age, maybe, um, I'd, I'd say people who are about age 21 to 35 are the, are, is the, is the biggest kind of group I can think of. Now, mm. I know that encompasses like two age groups, but. Mm. Um, I, I feel like that's the but like all ages like I know this one guy RuneScape Glory and Gold he, he's like uh, I don't want to get his age right he's, he's over 70 anyway and he streams he streams RuneScape every day and that's like this really old um, uh, MMO that's pretty cool yeah. and what do you do? Uh, well, I my my kind of I'm just figuring out what works. I do a lot of I do a lot of fun stuff. I sort of um, uh, growing a community. I'm what you'd call a six viewer Andy <laughs> for right. now, though. I'm Lord Fungus TV on Twitch. Um, I do I'm I'm doing variety stuff, whatever I want, really. I'm I'm not doing it for uh, to make a living from it or anything. I, I was going to get to the living bit in a minute, but that is the thing. You can decide your own content, be your own editor, whatever. Mm. Yeah. Now, Twitch obviously does have something that every uh, every person's expect to follow. You know, you, you can't say slurs and you um, it, it's uh, and you know um, there's they have a very serious harassment anti harassment policy, which is it? good. Which is good because yeah, if you, yeah. Uh, yeah. How how many women are involved? Are women big on the platform? So actually, this is a really interesting question because gaming's always been thought of like uh, like as a boys' club, you know, and, and all of that stuff. Which honestly, in in 2012, I I, I totally I I'd say in retrospect, I totally agree with you. It's about 65 percent male, 35 percent female, and it's growing in the last three years. Um, the numbers in seven, 2017 were 81 percent male and 18.5 uh, percent female, and um, some people attribute it to like Twitch um, making a, a, a sort of a creative overhaul in 2018, opening up new categories and stuff. Um, mm. Like who monitors the stuff as it's going out? I mean, just if I want, I mean, live is dangerous as it can be. Okay. Um, so who's monitoring? If I'm broadcasting and I start going off on one, who's monitoring people, that? <laughs> the people monitor. Uh, it's the people's platform. Sorry, uh, the people monitor it. I guess in a way. Because there's a report button, and you can report to the, uh, you can report to um, to Twitch directly, really. Right. Um, While well, something is done. Would there be um, female stars involved here, or like you said? Oh yeah, yeah. tons. I mean, th- we have an Irish female star of Twitch, actually. And who's that? Just a minx. Just a minx. Tell me about Just a minx. Um, I don't know much about I don't know much about like many many of the real people many of the really big people on Twitch to do them justice, but she's. Um, uh, she's, uh, I'm not actually, I think she's from Cork. I feel like she has a heavy Cork accent. Maybe, mm. maybe she'd eviscerate me for saying that. I don't know. Um, and can uh, you make a living out of live, She was doing a live stream at Twitch actually at one point, um, while she was in Cork. Mm. Uh, that, that's available on a VOD, I think. Can sure. you make a living, a full income? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I see some YouTubers make a very handy living out of what they do. Yeah. And it's taxable. It's a real job. <laughs> like it or not, fellas. You know, uh, but uh, so how uh, would you like? We know that when when YouTube, when you get past a certain number of subscribers and a certain number of viewers, YouTube start dealing with you to to sell ads and all that. You can make quite a, hand, a handy living through that. How does this work? 
um, just getting uh, so that's either through donations um, and those donations can come via several sources. They can, you know, you can advertise a Patreon, you can advertise your PayPal, but also through Twitch, there's these several mechanisms to earn money. There's uh, um, there's these bit donations, for instance, and um, there is what's the other one? Subscriptions mm. and subscriptions are you get benefits from subscriptions, and you can uh, you could do what's called cheering, which is uh, which you 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 pay money for bits and then there's a sort of there's a sort of an interactive thing that goes on there mm. but when you subscribe to certain channels um you can avail of like certain benefits like unique emotes and yeah things like that to use on uh, globally across the platform for for teenage for, for people who have teenagers and would think their teenagers might be on twitch their worry is they'll fi- they'll find inappropriate stuff Right, so so sixteen to twenty four and twenty five to thirty four. So sixteen to twenty four is about forty one percent of the analytics that they that they that they kind of um, collected, and and twenty five to thirty four is thirty two percent. I think these numbers were January, so they might be slightly different, but I think they're largely accurate. Sixteen is the lowest age I think that they've collected data on. Now I would I would hazard a guess and say that there are some people that are younger than that on Twitch and. Um, you know, as you go onto the internet, every you're always running the risk of running into something that you shouldn't see or don't want to see. Mm. Or, and there are varying degrees of that. But I parents worry about re- that, that they don't want the kids to see these things. 100, yeah, like totally. I, and you're right to, the internet's a scary place. But at the same time, um, like I would liken it to what I would, I think it's getting way better. Like I would liken it to what I would see when I was growing up and like... I don't even want to want to name any of the the, the 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 stuff that was going around when I was a kid, like because um, uh, I was I was like uh, there were like jump scares and stuff. That was that was a huge thing when I was a kid. I was very sensitive to that. Yeah. I, I hated yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I don't. It seems to me, from what you tell me, a bit like Facebook, a bit like Facebook Live, only with with a younger audience. We're hearing as well that Justin Minx has a lot of friends in Cork, so maybe we can find out a bit more about her, because she'd be good to catch up with her. But listen, thanks very much for introducing us, Stephen, to the concept of Twitch. It's growing. It's a big... It's another one to be aware of, another one to get onto your phone and have a look at it and see, because I know there's many a happy half hour is spent... Thanks, Stephen. Many happy a half hour is spent just watching TikTok. Some great fun on TikTok. (laughs) Open up a, a Twitch account here. And if anybody does know... Just a mink's actual identity and is a friend of hers and could help us to track her down, we'd be interested. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, earlier this morning I was chatting to a column from Sam's Gala in Dunmanway. They're looking for staff for the summer and looking for people who want work, not want a job, and they don't want mammies and daddies coming up to say will you take her on there or will you take him on because grand lad grand girl they want people to come in and present themselves and sell themselves and fend for themselves in looking for work not looking for a job on the basis that the country is full of people with jobs that don't do a tap of actual work but in the course of that uh, conversation 
McCullum referred to the leader of the opposition and then said that's what he calls his missus. And of course, everyone knows here that I refer constantly to the Queen Bee. Um, but it got me thinking here, and I, I just, in our last hour today, for a bit of a laugh, I'm looking for some of the more unusual things that people call their partners. Just for a bit of fun now, there's no sense nor meaning or no prize for this, but 083 396 96 A couple of ones that come to mind. I've got a, a friend who, who calls his missus the chief executive. Uh, another very popular one is my present wife uh, or my current husband. Uh, the best one I ever heard uh, was a guy who referred to his missus. Uh, you'd say to him, are you coming out on, on Saturday night, Johnny? We'll go for a pint. I'll, I'll check with the minister for permission. I thought that was brilliant. The minister for permission. That's a great one. So have you got a name to which you refer to your other half when you're chatting? I love it. I love the leader of the opposition. I've never heard it used like that before. Minister permission, permission was about the best one I ever heard. Seeking your best him. 083 396 96 96. Just for a little bit of fun in our last hour today. If you're into reading, and to reading has been the saviour for many of us through lockdown, reading, Netflix, and a bit of music is about all we've had. I'm going to read you something, uh, and then I'm going to talk to the author. I am the bitter only son of a disgraced rich man and I have washed up here in rehab at the end of every road with zero money, zero prospects, zero hope. I have cheated and stolen and lied. Lied to myself most of all. I've consorted with fraudsters and war criminals. In an effort to beat my father at his own game, I failed at love, at money and life. Those words written by Kevin Power, they're from his new book, White City. Now, Kevin wrote a book back in 2008 called Bad Day in Black Rock, and it became a huge film success, a film called What Richard Did. Uh, White City is... It's a, is it a thriller? Is it a comedy? Is it an exploration of wealth and privilege? What is it, Kevin? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Um, what is it? It is all of those things, I think. I hope it is kind of a thriller. I think it's, you know, I, I, I want it to be a page turner. I want people to want to know what happens next to this character who's thrown out of his privileged life and uh, has to fend for himself in our, um, uh, you know, not very comforting world. Yeah. Ben is the, the hero in it. Um, he's the son of a very rich banking official from South Dublin who gets arrested and might I say that you have taken some influence from real life? <laughs> well, you might say that, but I couldn't possibly comment, isn't that? Uh, isn't That's the old that saying. <laughs> the old saying, yeah. No, I mean, of course, I, I, I followed closely, um, you know, the news over the last kind of 10 years in, in this country or a little bit longer now, since 2008. Um, and was fascinated by the glimpses we all started to get of how our, you know, how our ruling elites work, how they how they operate, how these people at the top of the heap, um, you know, make the world around us, how they shape it, how they decide what gets built, they decide what money goes where, you know, they just all this kind of stuff. It was for the first time really in Irish history, we that world was cracked open, and we got to see it, and, and we got to see these characters under pressure, really. Um, 
as their kind of world collapsed around them. And I, that, to me, is fascinating because I'm really interested in writing about privileged people under pressure. Um, it, it seemed like kind of a gift to me. Mm. Is is Ben then a character from your imagination, as it were, based on some of the people that we've been looking at going, well, I wonder what if they had a son? That's exactly it, actually. That was the first kind of inkling I had of this book and story. I thought, what would it be like if that was my dad up there on RT News on the steps of the Central Criminal Court or wherever? Um, how would that feel? Uh, and I, that, that was, yeah, that was the initial impulse of the book because it, 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 I, I think that if you're going to write a, a novel about something like this, then the first thing you have to do is kind of humanize your characters. You can't go in like you're not writing an op-ed, you know, you're not writing a, a critical, you know, rant about them. What you what you want to do is humanize them, find what makes them tick. And the first thing to do with for me always is to ask about who are they close to? What are their family members like? What's it like to be, you know, in the in the home, in the kitchen when this crisis is unfolding? Yeah, you can imagine coming down some morning to make coffee and and there's the Irish Times on the kitchen table with your dad on the front of it and and being led away because that's kind of what happens it's, he, the first time he realises the stuff his dad is involved in is when his dad is arrested that's it exactly and he you know Ben in the book is, is he hasn't paid any attention whatsoever to how his father has made his money or what his job is like or what his career is He's lived in his own little bubble. You know, he wants to be a writer and he likes to sort of sit around posing and thinking about his great novel that he's never going to write. And this, the arrest, the morning of the arrest is the first time he's forced to confront, you know, the, the kind of, I guess, the economic realities underlying his, his daydreams. And of course, the money is gone. And the money is gone. And he's been relying on, a you know, parental handouts for his whole life up to the age of 27. Suddenly it's cut off. And I was very interested, again, in taking a, a, someone who'd lived that kind of privileged life, stripping all the privilege away and then throwing them out into the world where they would kind of flail around, having no idea what to do. Which is exactly what happened to him. Which is what happens to him, yeah. he gets, um, He's kind of forced to get jobs in call centres, um, which he hates. And, and, and he hates not because the jobs themselves are intrinsically bad, but because he thinks he's better than that. You know, yeah. He thinks, no, this isn't the kind of person I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be a master of the universe, you know, as Tom Wolfe put it in the 80s. Um, this isn't supposed to be how my life unfolded. And there's great comedy in that for me. I, I wanted to... The book is actually yeah. quite funny. Yeah. I mean, I like, the, the, the story itself is dark and, and Ben's spiral, very dark. But it manages to be very funny at the same time. I hope so. Yeah, I wanted this to be a book that had almost a joke on every page, something that made something that made me laugh on every page, and I hope would make other people laugh as well. Because I think you know, there's one of the things that novels can if novels can go wrong in many ways, but one of the ways they can go wrong is if they're just too serious, they're too doom laden, and they're too focused on you know the negative side of life and 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 pondering bad experiences. I wanted to kind of offset the the, the darkness of this book with with jokes and, and that was that was very important to me to get that in there. Well, in a, in a way you remind me of, of one of my favourite authors, I've always said this, my favourite being Harlan Coben. Harlan Coben can write about deep dark crime and you are in stitches laughing at the same time. And that's a skill and well done, you've woven it in really well. Well, thank you very much, yeah. That's a, it's a very flattering comparison to be compared to Harlan Coben, thank you, I'll take that. Yeah, no, it's just painting a dark scene and then before you leave a very dark page, you throw your head back and you go, oh, for God's sake, that's brilliant, you know. So I like I liked that about it. It's been a while since you um, 
since you had Bad Day and Black Rock. That was 2008, and what Richard did, which is a powerful film in, in 2012. What have you been doing since? Uh, trying to write a second novel is, is the short answer. Really? Um, was it? Yeah. Finding it very difficult, yeah. I, 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 in many ways, I published my first novel well, I was very young, I was 27, and I wrote it very quickly in a kind of rush of energy and enthusiasm and, you know, the kind of heedlessness of, of youth in some ways. Um, and, and then I had to kind of settle in and, and really learn what it takes to, to, be, to, to be a professional writer or a professional anything. You know, you need, you need discipline, you need application, and you need to be able to sit down at the desk and not, not get in your own way, not let your, your expectations of yourself or your foolish ideas about whether or not you're a genius, you you can't let them get in the way. So, yeah, I had to work through a lot of that stuff Mm. Um, over over really a long time, over about a decade. I had to kind of figure out. Because people think, don't they, like, I mean, Bad Day and Black Rock won all around it. It won uh, prizes for literature. It became a very successful movie directed by Lenny Abramson, which, as I said, was a fine, fine film. I I must confess, I didn't read the book. I, I took my understanding from the film. But... After that success, people kind of think, well, it just floods out of your fingers into the laptop, but it doesn't. No, it certainly doesn't. Well, I mean, not for me. And I, you know, I don't want to generalize too much. But yeah, no, for me, it really was a question of learning to write all over again. I had to figure out how a novel really worked because you can't really write them on sheer energy and enthusiasm. I got lucky with my first one and was able to because I had a subject that I knew and I had a world that I knew and I had energy. Mm. Um, Then I had to figure out you know, and novels are they're quite complex things if you want to if you want to kind of write a, a book that includes as much of the world as you as you can get in there. It takes a lot of time to learn those skills. And I think yeah, there's a culture of kind of, you know, assuming that novels are easy to write or, you know, that people kind of come along and and turn them out. I think for most people, and certainly for me, that's not true, that novels are very hard to write and, and take a long time. It takes mm. a long time to learn all the different skills that you need. How long did how long did this one take to put together and be and be happy with, as it were? I think it was about five years all told, from the kind of time I, I sat down and started writing what became the, the opening pages um, to the time I did the last edit and sent it off to the publishers and they said yes. Yeah, it was about, about a five-year a five-year struggle. Mm. And you know, just this is kind of on, on the technique of, of writing a book, more a general question. Like when you do open up that page and the story's in your mind and you write page one, what do you do then? <laughs> well, it depends, on, it depends on your state of mind. You know, if you are like I was for many years, very, you know, in your own way and very, you know, wrapped up in, you know, everything I write must be genius. Everything I write has to be great. That's Then it's going to be very difficult to write mm. the next page after page one. But if you throw all that stuff away and if you make, you know, a huge effort to kind of get over yourself, um, as I think we all have to do yeah. in life eventually, uh, we all have to kind of grow up and get over our, our early notions of ourselves. Um, but yeah, then you can look at what's on the page and say, well, what's the next logical thing? What does this story need? Not what, what do you, not what do I need? Mm. What does the story need? And that means you can go on and you can write page two, not because you're trying to prove you're a genius, but because you're just trying to tell the story as well as you can. How much of your own personal feelings or personal opinions come into like dismantling wealth and privilege? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I did. I certainly didn't grow up rich or, or privileged, um, but I encountered it when I went to college. I, I, my kind of college years happened to coincide with the peak of the Celtic Tiger, so it was a great time 
to be. I was in UCD and it was a great place to be because you had a good vantage point for uh, this sudden influx of wealth and privilege um, displaying itself out there in Dublin 4. Um, and my, I didn't grow up in Dublin 4. I grew up in a town called Rathcool, which is sort of in southwest Dublin. Um, and so this was, you know, I went out there and I, I discovered all of this wealth and privilege. And of course I was, you know, you, most people encountering that for the first time are both outraged and intrigued. You know, why do we love TV shows about rich people behaving badly? Because, you know, there's something in us that's both envious mm. and and admiring. Of and that. the idea but, that if you come from that part of society, that a different set of rules apply to you, the perception exactly. is there. The perception is there, and I think it's true. And I think that's something that's worth getting angry about um, because, you know, it shouldn't be the case. We should have a more equal society and we shouldn't have a, a kind of class at the top of society that gets away with things as a matter of course. So one of the things I do write out of, I think, is a sense of anger about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the book is called White City. Some great reviews of it. Uh, it says, a brilliantly entertaining novel, profound in the most unexpected ways. Power is that rarently, and again, genuinely funny. That's from Literary Review. The Daily Mail, ambitious, attention-grabbing, seems ripe for a cinematic adaptation. Another movie... Let, I don't know. Let's, that would be amazing. Um, you can't count on these things, though. I was incredibly lucky to get um, a film made of my first book. I mean, it's it's, it's actually it's very unusual for for something like that to. to I think follow it's a testament to how good your story was. Sorry, I think it's a testament to how good your story was. Well, thank you, thank you very much. I, I hope so. Um, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see what this one how it goes. Well, if you like, the ingredients are here, and I like that review in the mail. The ingredients are here. Like everybody knows about the banking crisis. Everybody knows about how angry looking at the upper echelons of banking made us all feel. I think you've got the makings of another hit here, lad. Thank you very much. I hope so. I hope you're right. All right. White City is the book. It's by Kevin Power and it's out now. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh! And it's all right here. Grealish for seven! Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. This Saturday, it's Crystal Palace versus Man City at 12.30. Brighton versus Leeds United at 3. Chelsea versus Fulham at 5.30. And Everton versus Aston Villa at 8. The Premier League Live online. With now, stream live Premier League action with a now sports or sports extra membership. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. My husband, says Marie, calls me the personal organiser. The control tower. I love that. I'll have to check with the control tower. Finbar, the ball and chain. Uh, the financial regulator. There's Anna. Her husband calls her the, the financial regulator. Chrissy says, my husband is Scottish and I call him the crabbit haggis. Crabbit is an old Scottish word, she thinks, for grumpy. Well, crabbit is also an old word we'd apply uh, here for someone who was very geek or very clever. So maybe it's a clever haggis. 
Chrissy. I love this one. This is my favourite one so far. Mother of Perpetual Sorrows. I love it. The Mother of Perpetual Sorrows. Your crazy names for your other half. Male and female, please. What do they call you? What do they call you? What do you call them? Just a bit of fun in our last hour today. The Minister for Permission is still my favourite. I have to say, but the leader of the opposition, that was a new, a new one for me this morning from Cullum in Dunmanway, 1850-715-996. Let us go back to what we're about to be told this evening, uh, the official news coming from Cabinet this evening as to the reopening process. Now, again, I had a long conversation with Adam Higgins from the Irish Sun this morning, and we went through what we can expect uh, with the very, very strong caveat that pretty much everything is down to rubber stamping by the cabinet and inclusion in Micheál Martin's speech to us this evening. We were asking about gyms and it looks as if gyms will be open for individual use only from sometime in early June. That's as much as we can glean at the moment. We mentioned that earlier on and it prompted a call to the opinion line on Cork's 96 from Shane Marshall. Uh, you've got a gym in Frankfield, Shane, I think. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Not happy with what you're hearing. It's, it's all got a health warning, as we know, but you're not happy with what you're hearing so far. Well, I suppose what we've heard is, look, we haven't heard it yet, but as, as usual, we've kind of heard the news before the news. Um, but... Yeah, look, it, it's it's very disheartening, um, and it's very disappointing. Look, I just look from a business perspective, and from a Cork business owner, and um, that's been going for quite a while. Um, it is very disappointing to hear that we're being, you know, not let go from the point of view of, you know, next week with hairdressers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I think we've done extremely well up to now. Um, and I think you know we we take care of our members, we take care of our staff, we take for, take for, take care of our community, really really well. And, and I think we should be allowed, you know, and um, get back out there to start helping. What, what's again what's the name of your place, Shane? Uh, it's called it's called Moore and Co. PJ. Right. Um, it's in the south side there in the Valley Cream right. estate. And would you not um, be able to open for individual training, which is what I think they plan to do? This is it, I suppose. Look, individual individual training is great, um, but it won't pay, it won't pay the bills for us, PJ. Um, it just won't do it. You know, like you, you you'd actually be better off closed because our gym is set up in a way where it's group based training. We run a community based um, gym where we want to see people train together in, in small groups. We only take eight people per class. Well, we want to see them train together because they get more out of themselves that way. They enjoy it more. It's more community-based. They make friends. They're happier. And that's what we want to do. You know, we have taken every precaution that we can. And we have a big facility where there's a lot of space, more than two metres, well over two metres between each client. You know, the mm. eaves inside in the building are 30 feet. There's a roller shutter door open. It's, it's pretty much a massive marquee. So you can do you know the ventilation, I mean? can you? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, look, look. We want to be safe. We want to keep everyone safe, and we don't want to put anyone at risk. And we have been doing that. I mean, we had these, we had these precautions in place before COVID ever hit. We had, you know, booking only. We had names and numbers of people who came. We have all that in place. So that was all there. But look, just to touch on another point with it, I don't just want to be talking about my business, but outside of the gym, just from the point of view of people's mental health and fitness, and for the older people as well. Like I do a bit of training, a bit of swimming, and stuff like that too. And I think the pools and things like that, people aren't recognising how important this is to people of an older age. 
and to their daily routine. Like I would go to, to Brookfield out there by UCC and, and the amount of older people that go there on a daily basis just to actually conversate in the pool and walk up and down and get their little bit of exercise in and then go and get their paper and the coffee afterwards. It's massively important. And look, I don't know the numbers. I'm not, I'm not a scientist, but I would say the risk is negligible on, on, on what's going to happen there. You know, like they're in chlorine, they're in a pool. I don't know if there's any numbers associated with the pools, but like we need to get mm. these people back. What they active, used to say you know? was the concern about the pool wasn't so much that you're right, the chlorine in the atmosphere and all that. Yeah. That's fine. What they were worried about was the congregation of people in the dressing 100%. rooms and the shower areas. 100%. Yeah. And I know, look, as I said, I go to Brookfield Lout and thing, and the way they have managed it was incredible. They had different lockers spaced apart between people, only a certain amount of people per group. They ran it really, really well. Mm. Like the place was sanitised like you wouldn't believe with bleach after every single session that happened. Yeah. But, you know, I think we just need a fair playing field, you know, yeah. like... Would you be with what Michal Martin said on The Week in Politics, though, that he said very clearly and in a very short and simple sentence, he, he says, when we open something this time, we want it to stay open. Yeah, and look, that is my big, big worry, to be quite honest. Look, I have a small family at home, and I'm no different than anybody else we cannot go through another lockdown again. Look, the business the business that I run more and call at the moment, the only reason that it's still there is because of the support of the communities that I've built across the years that have continued to pay their fees when we were closed yeah. because we provided an online service. But if we close again, I can't go back to that well again. It's just not going to happen, you know. But another big question, PJ, that I'd like to answer is, and I don't know if anyone's asked that already, is what happens in nine months' time when the vaccination has to be done again? Like, what happens when mm. everybody has to be revaccinated? They're already talking about boosters, and I see from the UK this morning where Boris Johnson or his health minister or whomever has cut a deal with Pfizer for yeah. 60 million mm. Pfizer doses because you only, have, you only have to get one the second time. 60 okay, million so Pfizer boosters. And there is general feeling among anyone you talk to that there will be a need for boosters at least this year and at least for those who'd be vulnerable, yeah. Indeed, yeah. Like, my own mother is 77. She's getting her second vaccination today. I'm absolutely delighted about yeah. it. She's by herself, you know, and it's huge for our family. But again, look, I would love to see her to be able to go out and go to some pool, meet her friends and, you know, you know, in an environment where it's really, really good mm. for her mental health. But again, what happened, when we do get this second stage of vaccination, when people have to go again, like my mother, um, will will businesses be closed again before that? Or no, I think the assumption know? is, and again, I'm only going by what you hear, the assumption is, Shane, that the two things will dovetail, that the reopening of the economy and society will dovetail with an increased rollout of vaccines, and then that by... Certainly by the by midsummer, everybody would at least have had their first one, and then heading into the autumn time, the boosters will be for the vulnerable, especially. Yes, indeed, the rest yeah, of us, yeah, yeah. the rest of us by then will probably have a stronger immune system and be able yeah. to fight it with the combination of the yeah. vaccine and looking after ourselves yeah. the idea is you will probably need a boost some people will need a booster a bit it's a bit like i'm i'm sure that your mom goes mm. for a flu jab 100% yeah so it'll be it'll, i think yeah. it'll become a bit like that you know yeah yeah and look it's really really important and you touched on a really important point there with immunity and stuff like that look if i bring it back to what we do yeah. and what our industry does and look i'm talking about the car business industry from the point of view of health fitness and mental health everything 
we know, like, I mean, you know, I'm not a scientist, as I said, but we do know that if people are healthier, if they're fitter, yeah. if they carry less weight, that they're less likely to be affected greatly. They know they can obviously contract the virus, but they're, they're less likely to yeah. be affected really badly. But I think we all will have to look, you know, uh, Shane, again, on a broader a broader topic. We all will have to look at once we get vaccinated, we are going to have to look a little bit more at our diets. We're going to have to look yeah, a little more at vitamin D supplements. We're going to have to look a little bit more at our exercise to make sure that, you know, this thing is going to be around for a while as John Campbell, our, our wonderful correspondent in the UK was saying to us recently, mm. he expects this to be around for a number of years before it can be eliminated from the planet or at least yeah. driven into, you know, dri- dri- driven yeah. into submission. And we will, but we will look after our diets, look after our exercise, look after yeah. our weight, look after all those things and make sure that the vulnerable are protected long term. But yeah. once you guys get to stay, to open, the idea is that you get to stay open. Like, you're hoping, obviously, that there'll be more news for you this evening or tomorrow. Yeah, look, look, I've read, I've read, you know, as I said, I've read the news before the news has yeah. been announced, you know. But like, well, and th- I mean, fair enough, anything we read yeah. out this morning, we made a very, yeah. very strict um, caveat that it's all subject to confirmation and it's all okay. subject to being written down. And look, I'd have, I'd have my own members and, and our own community here in Monco asking, you know, what is, and I, I spoke to people online this morning in a class running and I said, look, this is likely, but I don't have 100% on that until we hear what's going to happen. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I go back to it just for the last time. It's it's for me, and and I think you know I'd echo this across the whole fitness industry, especially in Cork. We need to get back to seeing our people again. It's more than just you know, like you said, the diet, the training, the health. It is more than that. It is part of their daily life. It's part of what they do. It's part of their routine. It makes them better people. And what we're all about here is just trying to make people happier on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, and it. it if we can just get back to that, we will be immensely happy. We can support our staff. We can continue to support Cork in the way we want to. And here's hoping that that happens for you very, very soon and very, very safely. Shane Marshall from Moran Co. Jim in Frankfield contacted us uh, just inquiring. And at the risk of repeating myself, which of course is what I'm doing anyway, we really don't know until A, Michal speaks this evening and B, the official document is published because they will publish an official document with all of the things laid out and I'm sure the summaries will be in your in your newspapers tomorrow tomorrow morning and we'll certainly be talking tomorrow morning about the official list as will be confirmed this evening by the T-shirt. Uh, my husband says Phil calls me google.com <laughs> I'd still love the Screaming Skull, though. Uh, that's brilliant. <laughs> screaming Skull. And the Mother of Perpetual Zorros. That's that's a good one as well. We're getting, getting out and about a bit more, thankfully. And hopefully over the bank holiday weekend, a lot of people will be able to get out if the weather holds. And then, of course, after the 10th of May, we can travel a bit more into another county. And as things slowly open up, we can get out and about. But what do you take with you to eat? What do you do? You pack a picnic, I suppose. Pack a little box or back of the car, maybe a big cardboard box or a gear bag. My my mother-in-law, God bless her, had, had a gear bag and I swear to God, the damn thing was seven foot deep. It had no bottom. It had no bottom. The stuff she could put out of it. But what do you take for a picnic? Uh, Neve Hegarty of Neve's Larder You've made a business out of this during lockdown, taking 
boxes out to people and producing boxes for people. You must be excited about the prospects of reopening, Neve. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I definitely am. But I think people have actually been picnicking at home, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I think people have been looking for an excuse to pretend they've been going out. That's right. <laughs> that's that's as well. Sitting out at the table in the garden on a sunny day and opening one of your boxes. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose my kind of why I came up with the idea was I just felt like with picnics, sometimes, you know, you've got the sandy sandwiches and it's just all very plain or you've got the crisps from the garage that you stopped in for petrol and you know they're kind of unhealthy really grab as you go and I just wanted to create something that people could have more of an occasion around a picnic so that when they're going to the beach or going out for a hike or a walk or whatever it is it can turn into like an actual occasion. Yeah it's not just the sandwich you made at nine o'clock this morning that's now squashed at the bottom of the bag this is a treat. Exactly a treat and because I think it can be such a memorable thing and Recently, I threw, well, it was just actually on Sunday, my friend, it was her birthday, and we went down to the beach, and I brought a crate, and I had a wicker basket, and we had, like, all the picnic blankets out, and I brought along, you know, like, croissants and granolas and yogurt, so it felt like actually being almost like a cafe, but on the beach. All seriously helpful, uh, healthy things, too. Yeah, it doesn't have to just be kind of fast food, necessarily. So, you know, if you wanted to do, like, brunch picnics, like, in my boxes, I include smoothies or juices. Like, you could juice up some grapefruit in the morning, throw it in, like, a glass bottle, bring it with you. You know, you could do overnight oats, which is just, you know, your normal porridge oats soaked in whatever milk you have. You could even do it with juice to make it a bit sweeter. And you could put that into, like, an old yogurt jar, bring that along with you. Yeah. And yeah, there's just so many options. And then I think everyone mastered ba- banana bread over lockdown last year. <laughs> oh, if I see another so, loaf of banana bread again in my life, it'd be too soon. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> so there's loads of kind of loaf bread like that that you can do, like lemon and poppy seed. And mm. they're so easy, you know, to cut up. Gingerbread, maybe? Yeah, you could do a gingerbread loaf, definitely. Chocolate, you could do orange flavoured. Yeah. There's lots of different options. Very, very visual. Like they open the box, and there's all these different colours yeah. and smells, and yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a, a long time removed from a few hang sandwiches <laughs> and a can of Seven Up. Like I know, big time. And I think that's what, you know. I feel like we all are looking for an excuse to create an occasion because so many of us have missed out on occasions. Mm. And doing like really simple things, like jazzing off your picnic a bit, can do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for people who want to do something for themselves this weekend, obviously they can order yeah. from you if they want to. But if, you, if if they want to put together a picnic, what would you advise them to do? What tips would you have? Well, I'd say keep it simple because I think you can kind of go overboard with these kind of things. And like, say, for example, you're going for like, you wanted to have lunch with you. You could just have a selection of cheeses, Olives, these are all things that you can pick up really handy and taste really good and fresh. Oh, I love olives. Yeah. I'd and munch olives like, all yeah. day for you. I love them. <laughs> really. yeah. And you could do even like fruit cocktail sticks. So if you'd grapes and berries and stick them on a stick. And my kids love them yeah. because they're so colourful and vibrant. And then there's a really quirky thing you can do. I learned it. Um, it's kind of a Ballymaloo speciality. It's a chest of sandwiches. It's a what? So what 
a chest of sandwiches. Chest, drive on, a chest of sandwiches. What's that yeah, about? So this is really cool. Basically, you just get kind of a white yeast loaf. So you could get it from your local baker, a farmer's market on a Saturday morning. And what you do is you cut out the inside of the loaf. Right. So that real doughy part and cut it out in a square as a whole piece. And then you just cut up, you know, into trees. And then you've just like little finger sandwiches. So you could fill it with whatever you want. You could make cucumber sandwiches, cheese sandwiches, cheese and pickle, ham, whatever it is that you like, basically. And then you put the little finger sandwiches back into the loaf of bread. (laughs) Bring your own storage. Yeah, it's really clever. It's really cool. And it's such a crowd pleaser if you're meeting a friend and, you know, you could surprise them with this. It's really and it's so easy yeah so where easy. are the sandwiches they're in there what oh crikey yeah. look at them that's <laughs> cool exactly yeah I'll put a photo up on my Instagram so that people can visualise it a bit more yeah that, that's that's a really cool idea and yeah. how busy are you and I suppose with, with things coming back slowly you'll be busier again yeah I've been really busy because I suppose when I started last year in August the idea was, you know, it was summertime and the people were out picnicking and I wasn't really sure what would happen over winter. But kind of like what I was saying, people were gifting my boxes as occasions and a lot of that was happening over winter and different kind of corporate gigs with, you know, managers trying to spoil their employees. And now, yeah, coming into summer, people are thinking again about picnics and going out at the weekend and looking for alternatives to, I suppose, what they're used to. Yeah. Listen, it's all great. And you've all listened. Good luck with the coffee trailer. Yeah. That's a competitive market to be getting into now. It is. Um, I'm down in East Cork, so we're just outside Cloyne. And I'm going to be setting up on Ballybranigan Beach. Lovely beach. Yeah, it's a nice long beach for a walk. Very nice, yeah. yeah Unspoiled is the best way for, to describe it. That is a very good way to describe it, actually. It's really, it's quite special, actually, Ballybranigan. And it's, yeah, such a nice long sandy beach and lovely to swim in as well. Yeah. So it's a bit of a hidden gem. So I'm yeah. going to be setting up about 500 metres along the beach. Right. Um, there's just a bit of an access up into a field and I'll be up there with my trailer great. doing breakfast and lunch and coffees. Well, great luck. Good, good luck with it, Neve, and with the business. That's Neve Hegarty of Neve's Larder with a few ideas for picnics. Love that. Chest of sandwiches. Hollow out the loaf of bread. Make the sandwiches and stuff them back into it. I have a thing about picnics. Right? Anything, anytime we ever do a picnic, there's a kind of sandwich I have to have. And it, I don't know who invented these. It's mashed egg, chopped onion, chopped tomato, all made into a great big mush and slap it on the bread in the morning and don't touch the bread till about four o'clock. I could eat that while you give it to me. And I know, I know, I know it's not a chest of sandwiches, but same time. 1850-715-996. Jim is wondering where the Spanish plume went that everybody was talking about last week. Me thinks he turned around and went back home. I think he realised, Jim, he was outside of his 5K because certainly he came up here and last weekend there was times last weekend it was absolutely scorching and it began to dissipate earlier in the week, which to be fair, we were warned that it might. There was never a guarantee. We were warned that it might. Now, I'm telling you, looking at my particular weather go-to app, 
over the weekend. Sunday will be the best of the days, but there's a chance of a shower on every day of the weekend, which is not good news. Spanish plume seems to have uh, skedaddled off home. 1850 something else happening this weekend. I mentioned it yesterday. I heard it in the Access All Areas promo, and I remember a few years ago that this festival almost went to the wall. It almost went belly up, but it was saved. And I think my next guest is the man who at least helped to save the Ballet de Hub Jazz Festival. Joe Leary, good morning to you. How are you, PJ? Good good to have... Uh, thanks for having me on, man. Formerly of Fred. Oh, the good old days. The good old days. My God, I used to love what you did. Now, the Ballet... Uh, this, wait, it was, was it nearly... Maybe the 2014-2015 Ballet de Hub Festival nearly went... Nearly went yeah, to court. Yeah, 20, 2014, we had moved to town the year before, and 2014, I suppose depths of the recession as well, you know, um, hard to get sponsorship, hard to get public or private sponsorship, and I was uh, I was tricked or cajoled into joining the committee, hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and next thing I find myself six years later still here, <laughs> I, can't, I can't get out. But yeah, we, 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 we put something on that year, the important thing is to keep going, you know. Sometimes you just don't have enough funds to, to do your majestic ideas. But, you know, you've got to keep dreaming and keep doing stuff and keep doing... Because it's a community-driven. It's very much community-driven and community-led, you know, and it's all volunteer-run. So you have to keep going and give people a positive uh, focus, you know? Because we all know about the big jazz festival in October and we all know Kinsale has its own one corresponding with that. Yeah. But Ballydy Hub in May... Is an unlikely place for it for a jazz. <laughs> I've heard the word improbable. Much as I love Belly de Hub and I haven't been there in years, but much as I love it, I was through. Like it's a, it's an unlikely place. Uh, tell me about your big main event, which obviously I don't think you can do that this year. Can you? You can't. You can't really do the jazz funeral. No, the jazz funeral is amazing. We we introduced that idea in 2014, 2015, and it started quite small. Um, and in last, the last time we had an incarnation of it, a physical one, it was 2019, obviously. And 2019, we had about three, three, three and a half thousand people lining the streets over two days, um, watching the parade. Like there's puppets that are all made here, loads of bands parading up, and it's like a, it's the it takes from the culture of the jazz funeral, the New Orleans jazz funeral, but over the years we've mixed it with a bit of Celtic culture and yeah. the Alton and so on. So there's spirits floating around and everything. And every year we're trying to improve. We can't do that. No. Touch of a Mardi Gras about it. So you're online. How can we get to see it? Well, you get to see it. Basically, we've got five shows going out over the weekend. Um, and we've just added a sixth a special show on Friday, but it's all on org. That's our website, org. And basically, you can go on there and, and, and help us basically deliver our program um, by sponsoring it or buying a ticket or whatever. Um, but we've got amazing stuff. We've got... Um, it's bookended by two amazing original suites of music written by Cork's own Paul Dunley, right. amazing, uh, amazing trombonist. And they're both pieces that uh, are inspired by, I suppose, the extraordinary efforts and courage of the local men and women um, of both Cork and the Mizzen Peninsula during the War of Independence. So they're celebratory pieces. And these are new pieces, with, yeah? Great. Yeah, and it's it's a real, it's a complex, you know, it's a complex period, 100 years later, you know, and it was there was a lot of struggle, a lot of suffering, a lot of, a lot of victories, obviously, but I suppose we're exploring, we're trying to explore it in a, in a sensitive, uh, sympathetic way. 
um, through through the power of music, basically. So it's great they're doing it. I, I just heard the government on during the week about wanting to do more and more events, and we we commissioned this last year, and we're putting out we're putting out this year, and very we're very proud to be involved in commissioning a Cork artist to right. write a piece of music exploring that theme. You know, BallyDHobJazzFestival.org is the website. Tickets on sale there. Have a great festival. Enjoy the weekend, and thanks for being with us today. That's Joe O'Leary of the Ballydehob Jazz Festival. There is such a thing, and now we're after talking to one of the people in charge. I'm delighted with that. And that's it. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.